Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumter, and today we're going to be talking with Bobby Kolba, who is the Vice President of Engineering at Textio. So introduce yourself, please. Yeah, so uh, my name is Bobby. I'm VP of Engineering here at Textio. I lead the Engineering, Data Science, and Technical Program Management teams. Uh, I've been with the company since the very beginning, founding of it, and helped us grow over the last four and a half years. So how did you get here? You didn't wake up one day and say, what I want to do is go be the VP of Engineering at Textio. So what's the sequence that got you here? It starts, you know, in a, like where all good tech stories start, with theater production. Um, that was my springboard in, into the tech industry. So I was a, I would say, a hobbyist and tinkerer with computers since a very young age. I was very lucky that, you know, that my dad was into computers. So I remember, you know, playing on a Tandy 1000 with my brother um, when I was very young. And I had, so I always had sort of technology and computers as part of my life. And then when I got into to high school and college, I got very, very involved in, in theater production, lighting design, things like that. So my major is political science, which has nothing to do with either theater or my job. But I, I spent a lot of time in college producing large shows, building building productions. And then I had a friend who, in a very serendipitous conversation, introduced working at Microsoft as a possibility for me. And I was able to sort of bridge all the work I had done in theater and what it takes to, to go from a script and a set of actors and a stage manager to opening night. And realize that that's basically the same thing we do with software. You you have a spec and some engineers, and you get to a ship date. So that led me to Microsoft, where I worked originally in Office on enterprise software, uh, and then moved in later to work on search. And so I got some exposure both to the enterprise side of the world as well to kind of the more machine learning AI side of the world when I was working in search. That's also where I met Kieran, who's the founder of Textio. And so when she decided to go off on this adventure, she knew me and asked me to, to join, and I couldn't say no. She's a hard person to refuse, isn't she? So for the people in the audience who don't know about Textio, would you talk about what the, what the company does and what your products are? Yeah, so Textio is an augmented writing platform. And what that means is, you know, with augmented writing, you can see the future your words create and have a chance to change them before you post or publish or send anything. So as an example, our, our first application of this technology is called Textio Hire which is two products, Textio for job posts and Textio for recruiting mail. Um, so as a very specific example, I've hired a lot of engineers as we've grown our team from the five of us when we started to about 55 on the engineering team now. Um, and of course, that process starts with a job post. So when I write that post with Textio, you can see the effectiveness of the language I'm using and any unconscious bias that may be seeping in. And then I can change it before I put it on our career site where it's going to get picked up by crawlers and, you know, reposted across the internet, or I pay to put it on a job board where maybe I get kind of one shot at it. And so the result is, you know, by, by having this much stronger job post, I see a, a broader set of qualified candidates. And then once I, you know, sort of have that up there, I can also start reaching out to people. And so that's where our product, Textio for Recruiting Mail, comes in, which is integrated into LinkedIn and, and Gmail. Where as I'm writing sort of outreach mails uh, to potentially passive candidates, I'm getting feedback about the, the language that's most effective in, in getting people to respond and to respond positively. So not just the, you know, please stop contacting me, but, you know, to, to get them interested in the job. So you say that, that this helps with unconscious bias, but you really, 
you really mean very specific kinds of unconscious bias, not all unconscious bias in general, but unconscious bias that leads to discrimination or regulated areas where bias is prohibited. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's, that's the way of thinking about it. I mean, bias is such a, a broad term that, you know, you can have a bias, you know, let's say from my background of working at Microsoft, there were probably a lot of things I had to unlearn that might show up as bias to corporate jargon and things like that, which is something that the platform looked at. But generally, when we're talking about bias and, and we are talking about sort of unintentional discrimination. You use AI in this process what, uh, or something resembling AI. I, I always get befuddled by what people are calling AI. So tell me a little bit about the technology that you use to get this done. Yeah. So like you said, AI is, is a pretty overloaded term. And I think, you know, a way that it's, it's talked about uh, in the industry today is that sort of the AI revolution is like electricity. It's sort of this, you know, empowering commodity that's coming and, and rapidly emerging. And so AI really is the foundation of what we build at Textio. The subfield of AI that we're sort of most closely associated with is natural language processing. So how do you take text and the meaning behind text and turn that into something that computers can reason over and we can make judgments based of. And so the way that we implement that is really not in a, um, a one-size-fits-all solution. So if I'm trying to you know, predict a classic example, is, is this piece of email a spam or not spam? That's a, that's a single AI model that's making that decision. And what we do at Textio that I think is really special in the technology is use lots and lots of different AI approaches and then blend them together seamlessly into a single writing experience. So when we're looking at, you know, what kind of document is this? That's one kind of model. Or what type of role is this hiring for? Um, that's another kind of model. What was the sentiment of an email response? Separate piece. What language would be most effective in this context specifically? And then we pull that all together in a way that is uh, really transparent to, to our users so that they don't feel like they're using a, a you know, AI product. It's just the AI is there empowering their, all, their sort of human activity of writing. That's fascinating. So, so I think what I heard you just say is that in the system, one of the, one of the modules you have in the system is sort of a model of how a conversation reaches its conclusion on a specific topic. So we've got some email to some candidate, and over the course of the exchanges it's building towards an interview or deciding not to go to the interview. So there's some process map embedded in that. Is, is that a, a reasonable way to think about the sort of matching and identification that you do for mm, customizing the advice you give about how to write? Yeah, I think the, the, the phrase you use module is a really good way to think about it. Of sort of this uh, kind of fan out to ask a bunch of different technologies, different questions, and then use kind of the ensemble response from that to, to pull together an entire experience. And so just like you use different parts of your brain and different scenarios to, to tackle different problems, that's the same thing that we're doing with our technology. So it's really about blending all of that together is, is really, I think, the, the magic part of it. I'm getting this picture of a of a of a conference room with a whiteboard in it, and on the whiteboard is kind of a uh, it's not a decision tree. It's more like a flowchart with percentage likelihood gates in the flowchart that is that starts from I don't know you at all to you're hired, and 
at each sort of step in that process, the advice that one gets about the language that you use to take the process forward shifts to, to match the stage of the process. Are you there or is that just me having a fancy this morning? Um, I think that's a good way to think about the two products that we have. So if you think about Textio for job posts, that's sort of applying augmented writing to the kind of a top of the funnel problem. And then when you think about Textio for recruiting mail, that's kind of that next block on that flowchart that I think you're talking about, which maybe is mapping a hiring process. And then you can imagine we're not there there yet that you could apply that for interview feedback, for performance reviews, for communications internally within a company. You know, I think the vision that we have for Textio is really to bring augmented writing to communication across the business. So I think we're really just getting started with what we have out there today and, and definitely plan to, to continue building towards that vision over the next years. That's interesting. So, so well, I guess you'd know something about this from working in office, wouldn't you? Is there, is there a group or a person in your R&D function who is thinking about what are all of the types of communication that happen inside of an organization? Yeah, certainly. That's a top of mind thing for, for our product team. And, you know, like you said, we have a mix of folks here in the company. I think you know one of one thing that's really important for us is to build a team that represents a huge diversity of skills, so that we can tackle these problems. Because um, you know we we have a set of problems we know we're solving today, and there's going to be a different set six months from now, and so we want to have the most flexible team possible. So, product and you know our our, our leadership team is is always thinking about where can we apply this technology, what's sort of best for our customers. Do you imagine that that evolves from adjacency to recruiting or or are you going to go from getting augmented writing into the recruiting process and jump over to getting augmented writing into all meeting agenda development process do you have a sense of, of where the map takes you yeah i think if you if you look forward far enough it does take us into all business communication the specific ordering and staging of that you know comes down to priorities and and the team that we have you know at, at any given time we're investing sort of our energy and our resources on the engineering team into supporting our existing customers what do what are they saying what do they need you know are they running into issues are there new things we could be building for them at the same time we're building to advance this vision of augmented writing and you know in the early days of a startup you're you're small enough that you sort of have to pick one or the other as the team's grown, it's enabled us to, to invest on multiple time horizons at the same time. So some of the work we're doing is for this week or this month, and some of it is for this year or next year, and we can work on that simultaneously. How big is Textio? I don't, I don't have a, a sense yet. How many employees, how many customers? How big is the company? Textio started uh, in 2014, late 2014 with five of us. And over the last four, four and a half years, We've grown from that original group of five to 135 in the company. And then among that, 55 is, is on the engineering team split between front-end engineering, back-end engineering, data science, and technical program management. And this, this is probably a couple hundred serious customers at this point. I, I, I don't have any sense of that, that scale. Order hundreds of, of customers and thousands of companies that have tried the product at this point through our free trial. So scaling, being able to deliver the right result to the right person um, without it appearing to be um, 
a latency problem of your time. As as you as your breadth increases and your depth increases, being able to deliver that real time feel is a is an increasing challenge. How's that going? Yeah, I, so I think about this the way that uh, I used to think about lighting design, actually, going back to my deep past. So lighting design is one of those things that when it's done well, you don't notice it. It just sort of seamlessly enhances whatever, whatever scene you're looking at. And as a lighting designer, that's what I was always striving for. I was never trying to show off my lighting design. It's always more subtle than that. And that's the same with reliability and infrastructure engineering, that nobody notices it unless it goes wrong if we do our job well. And so building in that resilience, building in that performance, having you know, the, the systems and the processes to maintain that so that as our company is growing and, and we're bringing in new customers, I'm staying ahead of that so that I don't have to worry that, you know, oh, this, you know, we, we closed a large deal and a bunch of you know, new people are going to be onboarding to the system. I have confidence that the system will scale to that. So it's been something that has been front of mind for us since the earliest days of the company and, and continues to be. So what are the surprises? Uh, you, you, you know, you're, you're tackling an area that, that I would say before you started tackling the area, nobody knew it existed, right? And the core of the product, as I understand it, is the capacity to have your desktop tell you how to improve the quality of your job posting or your letter in LinkedIn so that you get something that approximates the results you're after. In particular, in the job posting stuff, it's getting the right mix of responses that overcome internal biases towards one category, and and this gets you a better mix of gender and a better mix of ethnicity in the responses. What are the surprises? What have you learned? That is a uh, a very very broad question. You know, I, I think there's both building the product, like you're talking about, and building a company. I mean, this is the first time. You know, my past was all at, at, at large companies with established infrastructure. So for me personally, there's been a lot of learning about how a company operates. You know, one of the early projects I worked on when we were quite small was taking our initial private beta and bringing it to commercial availability. And to do that, we had to have a way to collect money. And I knew very little about how to build a billing system, how to sort of go into these large companies and sell to them and, and what that motion looked like and, so, and how I could then encode that in the software and how we supported it. And so each, I, I would say every month, I'm learning something new uh, as, as the company has grown. Um, and I think, you know, there's one of the, um, I, I guess the, delight has been to see how successful it's been to take all of this deep data and knowledge and intelligence we have about language. And by wrapping it in you know, a writing experience, that's so beautiful and intuitive that you don't have to be a data scientist to use it. It's just the response from our customers, from our users. You know, I see people talking about us at conferences or, or on Twitter. It's been really gratifying. So the interface design is one of the, the most extraordinary parts of Textio. We haven't really talked about that that much. Is the interface design the result of your background in theater and lightning lighting? Uh, I have to give full credit to that to Jensen, who's our co-founder and CTO. And I, I think you can you can really look at our our founders for the bones of the company. So from Kieran, 
with her background in computational linguistics, you really get the, the brain of the Textio platform. And then Jensen, who has an incredibly deep, deep expertise and is world-class in enterprise user interface design, you get the, the packaging that, that makes that so successful. And so I think the, you know, the blending of their two skill sets is, is really what set us up for success. So how does that how does that work in practice? I mean, as as you get smarter, the pressure on the interface to be simpler has got to be pretty extraordinary, and the tendency for the interface to get complicated is one way that the growth can be channeled. Right, that's what, one of the things that you often see in a company like yours that's scaling at this pace is that. The way that people talk about what the company does gets complicated. The way that you interact with the product gets complicated. And that's sort of the opposite of what you've stood for so long. So how do you keep that in check? I I mean, I think it starts with core values. So having sort of a belief in in craftsmanship, having, you know, like you're saying, understanding that simplicity inherently has value and knowing that that design is, is art more than science. You know, I think there are there are approaches that are very sort of rigorous science based where you end up with with overly confusing UIs because each little button tested well versus stepping back and understanding what is what is the customer experience? How do we take the UI and get it out of the way of people, especially when you're doing something so fundamentally human as writing? So, you know, a couple of years ago, we rebuilt our entire editing experience from the ground up so that we could have it be as simple as possible so that the writers could focus on the words and not all of the UI around it. And every feature we add, we're looking at, you know, is this adding to the experience or is it just adding confusion? And if it's just adding confusion, we won't ship it. You just said something that might be the favorite thing that I've heard this year. And, and that is to sort of synthesize what you said. We, fo- we, we are rooted in a set of values and craftsmanship is amongst them. And, I've, I've been asking people in the technology business questions for 25 years. I've never heard anybody say that, and it's genius. So, so talk to me about craftsmanship a little bit. I think it, it starts with caring about the thing that you're building. And, I mean, I think we all have that experience in the real world where you, you use, whether it's an object or a service or something, that you can feel the care and the intentionality that went into the design of it. And it, it takes work, and it's hard. And but it, it's worth it. I think what you get on the other side of it is so much better than, than if you didn't do that. And so that's just something that, you know, very practically, if we're shipping a piece of software and there's a small bug, I think a lot of companies, you know, maybe where something has shifted in the UI, a lot of companies might say, well, we need to hit this date, so we're going to not fix that bug. That's the kind of thing that we would look at and say, you know, we aren't going to be proud unless we fix that bug and ship it. And so it's tying that intentionality and sort of the pride in what you're building and having that infused through your development processes and how you think about your product. And I, I, I love this. You should, you, should, you should placard it on the website. This is a really, really wonderful thing to talk about. Now, you're in the, you're in the organizational bias and, and mediation of bias business. What are the ethical issues that matter to you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one, which you know, I, I think you're getting at, is any... AI system, you have to be cognizant of bias. And, and really, like many things, the, the sort of output of one of these systems is only good as the data that you put into it. So if input data is fundamentally biased, your output is not going to be 
is it going to be biased and, and not useful? So, you know, as an example of that, if we get a data set that has aggregate statistics about gender identity, you know, how many folks who identified as men apply to a job versus identified as, as women or other, if that data is based on the individual self-identifying, that's really high quality. If that data is based on, you know, maybe some algorithm that looked at the name and tried to guess, that's fundamentally biased data and we'll reject that. We just won't use those fields because we don't want that bias deep into our system. So I think being mindful of that and, and it's not something that you can sort of solve and say you're done with. It's a constant vigilance that has to be built into your processes. I, I think also the responsible use of data. You know, I think we've seen with some of the Facebook stuff recently and uh, actually, some of the some of the work I did in Bing on privacy reminded me of this: that any company that's doing data work has to be transparent about what data you're collecting, why are you collecting, and how are you using it, and don't use it for things that you say you're not. So, you know, at TechDeal, we don't resell our data, we don't use it to power targeted advertisements, things like that. I think there's a, a lot of of ways that people get in trouble with data, and if you can just have a human conversation about, yes, you're giving us this data, and this is the value you're getting back, that's a much better footing to be on ethically. And then I think finally, the, there's this sort of fear of AI replacing humans. And, and so the way we think about what we're building is really to hold a mirror up to what you're writing, that when you write with Textio, you feel like you have a superpower. You're not, it's not letting the machine write for you and just you know, type in a couple pieces of metadata, click a button and get the best job description. It has to be fundamentally you. And so blending that power of all of this data that we have, but leaving sort of the human in control, I think, is, is important for us. One of the things that I like most about the Textio approach is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the emphasis in bias mitigation in hiring processes boils down to finger-wagging at people for being biased. And rather than wag your finger at me for being biased, you simply focus on the outcome that I'm trying to achieve and give me guidance about achieving the outcome without it ever being a question of, am I a screw-up because I've got bias in my system? I, I, think that, I think that's an interesting approach to solving bias, that you don't inherently attempt as the primary thing to change people, but instead what you look to do is change the behavior that results in a, in a consequence that's different from the one that you want. Is that something that's conscious there? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think for me, it's, it's pretty simply this belief that people are fundamentally good. And if you just hold up a mirror to them and show them these unconscious mistakes they might be making, they're going to want to want to act on it. And so, you know, we're not, like you said, trying to sort of finger wag. We're not trying to judge people. We're just trying to show them what's in their language and then trust the good human there to decide to act on it. So last question, you're in Seattle, there's an enormous pressure on the labor market in Seattle to compete for the very kinds of people that you need. How do you, how do you successfully compete for talent in that market? So first, we use our own product, as you might imagine, pretty extensively. <laughs> right. So that's, uh, that's step one, just a little plug there. And then, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things we've done to, to be successful. So one is, really just building a great place to work and, and having a company that really is values-focused and empowers folks just to solve hard problems. Like, like if there's a, you know, you can have the best recruiting program in the world, but people get to your company and it doesn't live up to those promises, that's not a, that's not a successful hiring plan. So it's really important to, to 
build that sense of belonging for everyone here. And then I think a, a specific thing that we've done is, you know, we, we, for engineering is looking beyond a small set of companies or schools. So we've had a lot of success with what we call career changers who may have entered tech and engineering through a non-traditional path. So if I look at my team, you know, I have folks who used to be aviation technicians, uh, physical therapists, clinical psychologists, physicists, all who did that and then decided to go to a boot camp to be self-taught. Uh, and then we've been able to find them. And I, I think some of that just comes from putting work into the process. I still remember before we ever had a recruiting team looking at the passive inbound we got off of Indeed. And I would look at every resume and I would go to the portfolio sites. And I would look at GitHub and it takes a lot of work, but I didn't trust a resume scanning tool because it was going to filter folks out and it would be biased. And so I think some of it is just putting the work in and, and opening your horizons of who you look for and, and trying to avoid some of the classical traps. What a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Would you reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you? Yeah. So my name is Bobby, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow Textio on Twitter. We have a pretty active Twitter there. Uh, and then you can uh, catch me at bobby at textio.com. All right. Thanks again for doing this, Bobby. We've been talking with Bobby Kolba, who is the Vice President of Engineering at Textio, an augmented writing firm in Seattle. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we will see you back here next week. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a blast as usual. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.